The Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, Episode 7. Plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs. Hello and welcome to the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, the podcast to inspire you and to help you get the best out of your garden. I'm Richard Farrer. And I'm George Munford. Coming up. In this episode, we'll be talking briefly about the Harrogate Autumn Flower Show that I attended uh, a few days ago. Our plant of the month for October is Cyclamen hedrifolium. Perfect pairing, two plants that complement each other. For this month, we've chosen Malus Crossumi Golden Hornet and Liriope Muscari. We'll have jobs to do in the garden and the vegetable garden. Plants of note, we've got Fraxinus angustifolia, raywood, a claret ash, and Colchicum water lily. We've also got some listeners or a listener's question this month, which while horticulturally based, it seems to have a little bit more about the dietary habits of squirrels, but we'll catch up with that later. And we've got forthcoming garden and flower shows. So George, we've got no interview this month, but we have got something lined up for next month which uh, should be interesting. But a few days ago, I managed to get to the Harrogate Autumn Flower Show. We've been to many flower shows this year, the big ones like Chelsea, Hampton Court, BBC Gardener's World, I lose track of them. But the Harrogate Autumn Flower Show is one I've never ever been to before, but lots of people talked about it. Now, it hasn't got show gardens. It only had four show gardens, but quite small ones. It doesn't really have show gardens the likes of Chelsea or some of the other shows like Hampton Court or BBC Gardener's World. But one of the things it really does specialise in is vegetables and the growing of competition vegetables. A bit like you last week, you were judging the local show, weren't you? Yes, that's right. So I suppose that has something to do with the time of the year, autumn being the time for harvest. So it seems only right that the show should be dominated by harvest produce, I suppose. Now, you said last time you were judging carrots by their taste. Were there any enormous vegetables at your local show? Yes, an enormous marrow. Enormous marrow. What sort of size was it? I would say, oh, hard to... How how would I describe it? Would it 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 fit in a wheelbarrow? Yeah, just. It would just fit in a wheelbarrow, yes. At the Harrogate show, we saw some cabbages, which would barely squeeze into a wheelbarrow there were leeks which were i think they grow these things in drain pipes don't they to get them so straight but they were the thickness of a drain pipe you could seriously club somebody to death with one of those if you wanted (laughs) if you were so inclined yes do you grow your own vegetables richard we grow a few things uh we try with kale we had some kale this year which we liked and did quite well although we do tend to suffer with a cabbage white butterfly and i believe it's been a bad year for cabbage white As far as I know, yes, it has. That's right. I've seen a lot of them fluttering around. And if you've seen the cabbage white butterfly, then you know you've had a caterpillar to get to that point. And that caterpillar's probably munched through somebody's prized brassica. Yeah, and it's a bit of a shame, isn't it, when you spend all that time growing your different vegetables and then they get destroyed by caterpillars? It does indeed. I think the only sure way is by having a very, very fine mesh, something that the butterflies can't get through to lay their eggs on the young shoots. Yeah, or they need to uh, breed a bird that eats cabbage white butterflies, don't they? 
I think birds probably do, but I don't know if we've got enough, enough of them. them. Yeah, we need more of them. I'm not sure which species will go for them. Perhaps they all do. I'm not sure. Oh, maybe somebody will know. If you know, please write in, let us know. The email address is podcast at plantadvice.co.uk. So, our plant in a month, George, for this month, you've chosen the cyclamen hedrofolium, or commonly known as the ivy-leafed cyclamen. That's right, Richard. It's a lovely little plant, this one. It's very useful for planting around the base of mature trees in that area where very other few plants will grow. So it's very often quite dry, very shady. So cyclamen hedrofolium, or the ivy-leaved cyclamen, the clues in the name... Heterofolium. In other words, the foliage is similar to that of hedera or ivy. It's a lovely little plant that grows from tubers, a modified underground storage organ, and they flower during October and November. The flowers, they're white or pink in colour, and they're often fragrant. This plant holds the award of RHS Garden Merit, which we talked about, or Sue Biggs talked about, in last month's episode of the podcast, which is an award the RHS give to plants which are known to perform well. Yeah, that's right. And any plant that holds the RHS Award of Garden Merit, you know that it has certain qualities that are very useful in the garden, very reliable plant. Well, if you're interested in this plant, we do have a link on our website that you can uh, buy the plant from. And all the links for this show you can find at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 7. Yeah, some other things to say about this plant, Richard, is that they self-seed very freely. So you can plant a few plants initially, but then as long as you're happy for them to do so, they'll self-seed about and gradually spread and form a little colony if you've planted them under a tree. So you wouldn't say they're hugely invasive, but they do multiply quite generously. Yeah, they do over a period of time, provided that they have they like leaf mould so don't be tempted to clear the leaves up under the tree where you've planted them in the autumn because they actually like the the consistency of the rotting leaf mould in for their roots to grow in and despite the fact that they they're very happy in shade and they're often seen in shade in this country they're actually native to the mediterranean so they will also grow quite happily in full sun if you've got a position in full sun that you'd like to grow them. Really? And how does that work with a leaf mould in the Mediterranean? Because my kind of feel in the Mediterranean would be perhaps more sandy, kind of arid soil. Yes, but I suppose, of course, in the Mediterranean you still get mature deciduous trees. So and shade, I suppose, from yeah, the tree. Yeah, I, I suppose what you get is around the base of the tree you're going to get more sunlight in the Mediterranean depending on the aspect of where it is the sun's rays might come in from the side for a longer period of time than they do in this country but i would think that unless the leaf mold is cleared up then in the mediterranean they're still going to have a supply of leaf mold which is the key way it gets its nutrients it needs i guess yeah yeah rotting down leaf mold over a long period of time well if you do check our website like i said at the address plantadvice.co.uk slash episode seven for the show notes george has taken a fantastic photo of a group of pink and white cyclamen underneath the tree it really is a stunning photo that george i love it yeah i'm particularly proud of that one richard and you can see there that they're only very small plants they only grow to about 10 centimeters tall and each plant eventually over time will grow to about 20 centimetres, and as I say, it'll self-set. They remind me a little bit of a crocus. 
Yes, they do in terms of their colour, but when you look at the flower shape, it's completely different, I suppose. A beautiful little plant and very useful at this time of year to give some much-needed colour in the garden, I guess. How would you describe the flower shape? Because they they arch, don't they, and then they go back on themselves. Yeah, looking at the photo here, we're looking at the photo on screen, they remind me a little bit of mussels. You know when if you cook a mussel and the shell's open? Yeah. A bit like yeah, that. Yeah, interesting flower shape as well, aren't they? Yeah, very pretty indeed. Now, perfect pairing is a regular feature we have of two plants that go well or complement each other for various reasons. This month we've chosen Malus crossumi golden hornet, which is a crab apple, which I believe George has chosen primarily for the colour of the apple, this one, and Liriope muscari, sometimes known as big blue lily turf. Yes, that's right, Richard. So this month my idea was to go for um, something that incorporates some autumn colour, with the Malus cross zoomy golden hornet. Now this tree can grow up to about 10 metres tall and about 8 metres wide, so over time you get a nice rounded shape. It's not particularly tall, so it's ideal for a small garden. (laughs) 10 metres sounds pretty tall to me. Not for a tree, it's not. Many trees grow at least twice that height. In the autumn it has golden yellow crab apples, also, the foliage of the this crabapple tree, the Malus crossumi golden hornet, the foliage also turns butter yellow as well in the autumn. In the spring, it has pink-flushed white flowers around May time. And it's an excellent tree, as I said, for a small garden. And it's also tolerant of a wide range of soils. And if you prune it quite, well, I wouldn't say harshly, but if you're careful with the pruning, you can prevent it getting up to 10 metres, I guess, and keep it a bit more... Under control? Yes, I would think in a, in a small garden, I don't think the height would be an issue of 10 metres. I think the spread would be more significant of 8 metres. So you might want to keep the spread of the tree in check rather than the height. I think in most gardens, there's an indefinite amount of height to work with, isn't there? Well, I guess so, yes. <laughs> it goes all the way up to the sky, doesn't it? That's right, yeah. As long as you're not encroaching onto airspace, that's fine, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'd have a long way to go to get up there, wouldn't you? That's right. And the, the idea that I had for this month was to un- underplant the Malus crossumi golden hornet with the big blue lily turf, which is Liriope muscari. So this is a naturally occurring species, and I don't quite understand where it gets its common name from, big blue lily turf, because it, it's only a small plant that grows to about thirty centimeters tall. It's a semi-evergreen perennial. And it flowers for a long time from August to towards the end of November. So it has purple spikes of flowers and they'd still be there at the same time as the golden crab apples on the crab apple tree. So you're getting the contrast and the colour and a good long flowering period, which is always nice for any flower. Yeah, and as you know, Richard, I always like to go for a plant that can hold its own amongst the cultivars. And this is a naturally occurring species from China, Taiwan and Japan. Quite exotic, really, then. Yeah, it is, and, and fully hardy as well, and very tolerant of dry shade once you get it established. And there there aren't many plants, especially evergreen plants, that can be grown in dry shade beneath a mature tree. Dry shade is a very challenging environment, isn't it, for any plant? Absolutely, and it's one of the biggest challenges for a gardener. I suppose it, underneath the tree you're always going to get dry shade. You're going to get shade because of the canopy of the tree. 
and dry because a it's sheltered from the rain a bit and b the roots from the tree are always going to suck up the moisture from the soil yeah and finding plants for underneath a mature tree is not particularly difficult but finding plants that can offer some color other than green is quite difficult and autumn color as well which is always nice yeah yeah, so now that's you, the combination for this month. Now, you say that plant, Liriope muscari, was semi-evergreen. What do you mean by semi-evergreen? To my way of reckoning, it either loses its leaves or it doesn't. Yeah, it can look a little bit messy at some times of the year because the leaves don't completely die back. You know, they might wither a bit at the end, but they don't completely lose all their green for any part of the year. So it goes off, looks a bit manky for a while, and then rejuvenates in the spring. That's right, yes. Okay, I think I understand that then. Well, these two plants you can see on our show notes at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 7, and there are also links there if you're interested. You can buy them online as well via our affiliate link. Jobs to do in the garden. Now, it's quite a, a busy time of year, I guess, autumn, isn't it, George? Yes, particularly when the leaves start falling. Clearing up the leaves, it takes such a lot of time, doesn't it? Yeah. What's the easiest way, do you think, to clearing up leaves? Is there an easy way, or is it just get the rake out and um, and shovel them up? The easiest way is to clear them up with a leaf vacuum, I suppose. Or how about uh, a lawnmower? It yeah, will chop yeah. them up as well, won't it, if you want to make leaf mould out of them? I would say clear the worst up with uh, a leaf vacuum. And then you can clear up the rest with a lawnmower. You'll find if you try and clear all of them up with a lawnmower, the, the lawnmower will quickly stall because it, you're taking in so many leaves at once. And it's it, going to clog uh, it up. Clog it up very quickly, yeah. So by all means, tidy up at the end with the lawnmower, but I would suggest not doing the whole lot if you've got lots of leaves to clear up. Okay. So other jobs this month in the garden. Uh, it's a good time to plant a hedge because if you want to save a bit of money, you can buy hedging plants at this time of year with bare root. In other words, you don't buy them in a pot. They'll come as a bundle of bare root plants just wrapped in a bit of polythene. Um, and it's much cheaper to buy them in bulk that way. Now, if you order them that way, I guess you've got to get them in the ground pretty quickly afterwards because they've got bare roots. They're not taking any nutrients or moisture up, are they? That's right, but you don't have to plant them in their final planting position straight away. You could, the, the horticultural term is heal them in. So if you've got a bare patch of soil, maybe after you've harvested your vegetables on the vegetable plot, when your hedging plants arrive, you can literally dig a hole in the vegetable plot or some other part of the garden where you've got a little bit of bare soil and just stick them straight into the soil there until you're ready to plant them. Of course, they're, they're deciduous, so they're resting when they arrive. So when you get them, they'll be free of void of leaves, will they? Yeah, they'll be completely bare. So you're not going to get transpiration and moisture loss? No, no, not at all. And that's why they're dug up from the nurseryman's field at that time of year, because it's the time of year when the amount of stress to the plant is virtually zero. They're fast asleep. I think using the uh, vegetable plot once you've planted all your, or harvested all your plants, I think it's an excellent idea. What, for healing in a, a group of hedging yeah, plants? Making yeah, making the best use of the space available, isn't it? Certainly if you've only got a small garden. Using a vegetable plot, it's not really 
that practical because if you're a very keen vegetable grower, you're always going to be doing something on the vegetable garden. You'll be having your Brussels sprouts in ready for Christmas. Yeah, or of course, there's the whole topic of green manures. Do you know what they are, Richard? Yes. Now, isn't that where you grow a plant which is specifically there to put, say, nitrogen back into the soil? That's right. They have special nodules on their roots that fix nitrogen onto their roots and then you chop off the top and dig it in and you end up with extra nitrogen in the soil. Now, is mustard one of those? Yes. I thought thought that registered in the back of my mind for some reason. And many of the bean crops are as well. I think if you grow broad beans, they have nitrogen-fixing roots. So So this can also come down to cycling. What's the term now? We did it at school in history years ago where you rotate crop rotation. That's the word I was looking for, isn't it? That's correct. So you don't use the same crops every year, so you don't wear or get the soil too tired out of a particular nutrient. It's not just about getting the soil tired out. It's all about specific diseases and pests that will go for particular crops. So the idea being that you try and confuse them by rotating your crop and you never have the same crop on the same plot. And then you avoid building up certain pests and diseases on that particular bit of soil. Right, okay. Um, All useful stuff, George. Yeah. Other jobs this month in the garden? You can treat your uh, lawn, you can scarify it. There's many lawn treatments for autumn. The aim of the autumn lawn feed treatment is to kill moss and also to strengthen the roots. You're not really going for a lush green growth at this time of year. It's more about planning. It wouldn't be a nitrogen-based fertiliser. No, that's right. It would have the the chemical makeup to uh, improve the root system throughout the winter and make a stronger root system for next spring so like i say nitrogen promotes the growth of leaves and the vegetation if you want to promote root growth which element is that george yeah so the autumn lawn treatments that you can buy in the garden center will be high in phosphorus the idea being that um, you're improving and strengthening the root system of the lawn uh, in preparation for the following spring and summer now, we have got a link on our show notes on our website at plantofrice.co.uk slash episode 7. And there's a link to a small article, a short article we wrote a few years ago, which is what does NPK mean on fertiliser packets? And it stands for nitrogen, potassium and phosphorus. Nitrogen promotes growth of leaves and vegetation. Phosphorus promotes root growth. And potassium promotes flower and fruit growth. So if you're looking for a fertiliser in the garden centre, you'll often see NPK and a few numbers next to it, like 1-6-6. And that shows the relative proportions of each chemical in that fertiliser mix. So if you wanted something for root growth, NPK, you'd need something with a higher phosphorus figure and lower potassium and nitrogen figure. Isn't that right, George? Is that my understanding correct? That's correct. So, yeah, just a simple numerical ratio system that you can find on the back of all fertiliser packaging. And a balanced fertiliser would have equal quantities of each, say 5, colon 5, colon 5, would be equal parts of nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. That's correct. So that's for good all-round growth of your garden plants. So if, for example, you were feeding tomatoes, the K element, potassium, would be higher than the other two, N and P. So you would see instantly from the ratio that it had a high potassium content 
which promotes the growth of flowers and fruit. Now, the more alert amongst you might have spotted that potassium will use the symbol K. We're not trying to be awkward here. Unfortunately, K is the chemical symbol for potassium, so we're just using what the chemists have decided. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? It does indeed, yeah. So, autumn lawn feed, that's a very useful one to feed the roots. What else is there to be doing in the garden this time of year, George? Uh, This time of year, we're still planting spring bulbs. So this morning I was planting some daffodils and some crocuses and some tulips. And how deep should... And the reason I'm asking, I've got some tulips and some alliums, which um, I'm going to ask you to plant for me next time you come round. How deep should the tulips go? I think with any bulb, I would say twice the height of the bulb on top of the bulb. So... If you have a bulb that is five centimetres in height, I would put ten centimetres soil on top of it. Good rule of thumb then. And would that work the same for the allium? Yeah, I would uh, just follow that with all bulbs. And would you want to put some grit in to improve the drainage in the soil? Yes, for most bulbs that helps. But there are particular bulbs that alliums, being an example, that would benefit from having some grit around the crowns at the top. In particular, this stops them from rotting during the winter if right. the soil okay. is wet. So not just at the bottom, fill the hole, if you stick an allium in, wrap it in grit, yeah, yeah, enhanced I, soil. That's right, I would put a bit in the base of the hole, and then when you've filled the hole in, just before you finish the backfill, put a bit of grit around the crown of the bulb. So it just helps it drain a bit better. Yeah. yeah. Other jobs this month in the garden? There are many herbaceous perennials that have come to the end of the season not looking their best. And if you've got large clumps of them that are particularly congested, then you can dig up the whole clump and cut off the outside sections that are going to be the most vigorous and youngest and replant just a bit so that they're not invading other plants, for example. Now, you did that for me last year, George. You divided and lifted up and divided a hosta that I had, a quite a nice one, a variegated one. And we've now got two hostas. So not only can you help to uh, improve the health of the plant like that, you can also get free ones, can't you? Very true, Richard. And it wasn't you haven't got two hostas, you've got three because Art you gave me a bit. So Ah, and that's doing well in your garden, yeah, is it? Yeah, so you know, you, you keep your friends happy as well. If you give away parts of your perennial plants to them when you dig them up. Excellent idea. And it's free, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, hostas are another example of a plant that you can do it with. So you dig up the clump and you literally cut through the the root system with a spade. So you're going to be quite brutal. Yeah, you do have to be quite brutal and don't worry too much because as long as you keep them watered after you've planted them, especially in the following spring uh, and summer, they'll be absolutely fine. It was. We've got two beautiful plants now. Thank you, George. Good, I'm pleased about that. Other jobs this month in the garden, there's many summer bulbs that are not hardy that you can lift now and store. For example, gladioli, dahlias when they've finished. Lift them, clean them up a bit and store them in a brown paper bag or or something like that just to keep them dry in the shed throughout the winter. Another job you can do this month is not just hedging plants that uh, you can buy bare root. You can also buy roses raspberries for example they can be bought bare root and you can plant those out this month as well 
the many um, tender pot-grown plants, for example, agapanthus. If you've got any tender agapanthus that you grow in a pot, you can start to move them into the greenhouse or a frost-free conservatory during October before we get any frosts. Well, I've got an agapanthus in the garden, George. It's probably towards the tail end of its flowering, so I'll be asking you to stick that in the shed before long then. Yeah, that's, some of them are borderline hardy. They'll survive a winter out in the garden. But yeah, I'm afraid. I don't know exactly which yeah, cultivar I've got yeah. there, whether that would be. So I would be a bit loath to try it and lose it. Yeah, best to err on the side of caution, yeah. If in doubt, stick it in the greenhouse. Many of the um, summer hanging baskets need to be emptied now and you can plant them up with hardy autumn and winter bedding, winter pansies, some of the autumn cyclamen, the bedding type cyclamen, you can put those in a hanging basket. Which is a good thing to do because you've got the hanging baskets and it's nice certainly on the dreary, dull winter days we've got to have a little bit of colour hanging there, isn't it? It is, yeah. You can keep hanging baskets colourful all year round, I think. Absolutely. There's no point in having an empty basket there just hanging outside, is there? No, that's right. And finally this month, it's good to fork over the borders just so that if we get plenty of rainfall during October, the borders easily absorb the water and it doesn't run off. Not usually a problem for us on the British Isles, is it? No, that's right. We have some strange weather, don't we? But if you're listening elsewhere, your climate may be a little bit different, so you might have to adopt a different gardening regime. In the vegetable garden this month, you can sow seeds indoors of lettuce. Outside, you can still be um, sowing seeds of radish. Plenty of harvesting to do, as we talked about before. Carrots, Swiss chard, spinach, cauliflowers, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, lettuce, sweet corn, tomatoes, swede, peppers, leeks, pumpkins, of course, are going to be harvested this month for Halloween. And radish. Now, plants of note, what have you chosen for us for this month of October, George? Two very contrasting plants this month, Richard. I felt obliged to choose something with excellent autumn colour, so I've chosen an ornamental ash, Fraxinus angustifolia raywood. This particular ash is fast growing and can grow up to 20 metres tall and 12 metres wide. I very often work for people uh, if I start work with a new customer very often the common theme is oh we've got this gap we're, we're being overlooked by a neighbour what can we fill it with that will grow quickly well here's a good example can grow up to 20 metres tall it's Fraxinus angustifolia raywood it has glossy dark green leaves most of the year but in the autumn it has absolutely stunning bright red claret um, leaves you're not kidding they really do look stunning don't they yeah it's one of my favorite autumn color trees this one um, you kind of wish you could extend the autumn season a bit just to look at those leaves yeah they're absolutely stunning aren't they the color and particularly easy to grow this tree in fact the leaf color is often better on a poor soil really yeah it's fully hardy and we talked before it also holds the rhs award of garden merit a good thing to look for for any plant, really. You know it's going to be a reliable performer if you've got that. Absolutely. In complete contrast, the other plant of note this month is the Autumn Crocus Colchicum Water Lily. It only grows to 15 centimetres tall 
and a similar spread. It has double pink flowers. It gets its name water lily from the flower shape. The flower shape is very similar to and resembles that of a water lily. So Colchicum water lily, it flowers in September and October. It's best grown in deep, well-drained soil. It's fully hardy and it grows from corms, which are underground stems. That's the storage organism, is it? For That's for... right, a modified uh, storage organ. It's uh, called a corm. Your questions. Now, listeners' questions. This month we've got a question from David Merritt, and he wrote in to us, which you can write in yourself if you've got any questions you'd like us to answer. The email address is podcast at plantadvice.co.uk. David wrote in and he says, We have recently moved to southwest London and have a small garden, but we would like to grow some blackberries. We have the variety in mind and have grown them before, so we're okay on how to. However, we have some grey squirrels resident in the vicinity and don't know if the berries would survive. Do squirrels go for blackberries, or are they something they ignore? So, dietary questions on squirrels, George. I don't like eating them, Richard. What, squirrels or blackberries? Squirrels. <laughs> I've never tried squirrel. No, being serious, my answer to this question is I would think that squirrels would always go for nuts and seeds before they would eat blackberries. I would think any wild animal has to have some food supply, so if it doesn't have any nuts or seeds, then I'm sure it would eat blackberries instead. I've done Uh, a little bit of reading up on this myself, because it was quite an intriguing question. And squirrels do have a varied diet. They do seem to prefer nuts and things like that, which I think are higher in protein. And nuts have more fat, don't they? So they'll be able to put fat on for winter. But they do eat, or can eat, fruit. Now, blackberries obviously are a fruit. Now, my way of thinking on this is... The blackberries are going to have a built-in self-defence mechanism. They're thorns, aren't they? Now, while a bird can land on a blackberry briar quite easily and peck away at the blackberries, I think a squirrel's going to have a quite harder job to do that. Yes, I agree. I think you might have more problem with birds eating the blackberries than grey squirrels. It probably depends how many squirrels you've got in the vicinity and what other food sources there are available for them as well. I would say if you do have grey squirrels in the garden and they are a problem if they do eat the blackberries, then why not just give them an alternative food source that you know that they're going to go to? Why not put some nuts and seeds out and that might stop them eating the blackberries? Do you think that might be in danger of tempting them into your garden and once they're there they'll have a look to see what else they can munch on? No, I don't think so. I think you think they'll always investigate gardens looking for food, but they'll always go for the nuts and seeds before the blackberries. That's what I think. Right, OK. Well, David, that was a really tough question. Not a normal one for a horticulturalist. Hopefully we've done our best to answer it. Let us know how you get on. It might be a year or two, but please do uh, let us know. I will be really intrigued to see what result you get. And if you do get any squirrels, get a photo of it and let us know. And if you'd like to ask us any questions, the email address, as I say, is podcast at plantadvice.co.uk. We will do our best to answer them for you. And if we have enough questions, Richard, we could always do a special podcast on listeners' questions. Absolutely, we could do. That would be a, a very interesting one. So there we go. There's a challenge from George for you all. Forthcoming garden shows. 
Now, forthcoming shows, we really are at the end of the show season. The last one coming up for October is from the 8th to the 9th of October. It's the RHS London Autumn Harvest Show 2013. After that, there's a hiatus again until the spring when the show season starts again. It's your last chance. And the autumn shows are different. They do have some different things there. Typically a lot of fruit and veg because it is the harvest season as well. Well, that is about it for this episode. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating on iTunes at plantadvice.co.uk slash iTunes. We'd love to know how we're getting on, what you think of the show, and if you've got any suggestions on how we can improve things or other things you'd like us to uh, to talk about. The show notes, as always, for this episode are available on our website at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 7, where we've got links to all the things we talked about, different articles, and some of the plants you can buy online if you're interested. You can also follow us online elsewhere at Plant Advice on Twitter or on Facebook at facebook.com slash plantadvice or on YouTube at youtube.com slash plantadvice. We also have a newsletter, an email newsletter that we send out every month, which you can subscribe to via the address plantadvice.co.uk slash subscribe. And when you do subscribe, we give you a free ebook that Jordan and I wrote on how to get the perfect lawn, or as near as perfect as you're likely to get. And finally, the production of this podcast is funded by the commission earned from sales of plants and other gardening products that we promote or talked about in this podcast. So if you do happen to like one of the plants we mentioned, please do click on one of the links on our website as that helps to fund the ongoing production and longevity of this podcast. So that's all from us for this episode. Thanks very much for listening and we hope you listen again next month. Until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. podcast was brought to you by plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs.